Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another episode of Podcasting Greatness this holiday season 2019. Specifically, we're right around the corner from Christmas. In fact, I'm planning on posting this on Christmas, my little Christmas gift to all of you guys out there. And to join me in this, I have asked uh, Seth Andrews to uh, join me on this podcast because he posted something fairly recently, a couple weeks ago, about the subject of humanism. And that's something I don't get a chance to talk nearly enough about. And so, Seth, welcome to my show. Good to be here, my friend. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Thanks for doing this. Um, First off, why don't we just let the folks know, you know, humanism. What What's so great about humanism? What is it? <laughs> well, you know, one of the challenges I think that we have is not all atheists are humanists. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not saying that atheism requires humanism, but I love that quote from Dale McGowan that said that for him, atheism was the first step and humanism was the thousand steps that followed. If I'm going to reject the supernatural, if I'm going to try to root myself in the real world, seeing human problems and only human solutions to those problems, um, you know, if I'm going to reject the idea of gods and monsters, so to speak, I think I would hope that for a great many people, it would be attractive to, to have their rejection of the idea of gods and religious claims inform their value system, meaning I would love to see people who are atheists segue into being humanists. And, you know, it's not like it's a, it's a test somebody has to pass. You know, you're not a real atheist if you're not a humanist. But if, if I'm not here to try to solve the world's problems, help solve my neighbor's problems. If I'm only going to say there is no evidence for any gods anywhere and I don't believe, but it doesn't really create any sort of positive ripple effect out of my life, then what am I good for? What am I really accomplishing in this world? And, and, you know, especially after being an activist for 10 years, the thinking atheist has been an icon that represents the rejection of faith, the embrace of reason. But how many times can you say there's no evidence for any God anywhere? I mean, you ever felt that frustration? There, you, you have the same arguments. They might be new for someone, and I try to keep that in mind. But once you've hit Pascal's wager the 500th time it's kind of a maddening experience and and you're like you're like V'ger in Star Trek the motion picture you're like is this all there is is there nothing more that's kind of how I feel right, right. I mean do you sense that you have that frustration as an absolutely. activist in your own life absolutely absolutely I just had a whole talk with John Atak about this whole thing and it and it is quite something you know and especially at this time of year, where I don't know about other people, but this is always a reflective time of the year for me. And I have to take stock of where am I at, what have I accomplished this year, and where am I going? And that always is a question that comes to the forefront, is am I doing enough? Is the content I'm putting out there useful, helpful? Is anybody really getting anything out of it? And 
And of course, the answer to these things is yes. But, you know, you have to really challenge yourself a little bit sometimes and and think about that. And and it gets a little bit like, oh, God, am I going to do another video about Scientology or is there something else I can do? Yeah. That might be more broadly appealing to people, or can I put something into this that will segue into a broader scope? And of course, politics is always. I thought that might be. A, I thought that might be a topic to to move into to address cult concerns, you know, and cult thinking. Yeah. But that kind of oh, you know that backfires. To, uh, <laughs> I just talked to Stephen Hassan, you know, the cult yeah. expert of thirty some years, and. He's authored the book, The Cult of Trump. Of course, you know, you say this and immediately the C's part and opinions are divided and everybody, I'm either a bleeding heart liberal or I'm a, I'm brainwashed or hell yeah, Seth is right, you know, or everybody's yeah. got an opinion kind of deal. But I, you know, I, I, I talk about Trump on my own show, probably much to the chagrin of some listeners. There's Trump fatigue out there for sure. Yeah. Other people are genuinely pro-Trump. Uh, I, though, I think as a, a humanist, I have a hard time reconciling a support of a man who is the antithesis of my values as a humanist. And I was in a conversation with a Trump supporter just recently, and instead of doing what the inclination seems to be on Twitter, which is, you're an idiot, you're this, you're that, you know, throwing insults, telling everybody how ridiculously stupid they are, which is what a lot of people do, especially when they have the safety of that, that shield of anonymity online or relative anonymity. That's right. Um, again, I, I decided, why not just start with questions, right? Let's do a little street epistemology. Let's do some Socratic method. And so it was, it became an exercise in, well, if you were to see this characteristic and we might talk about, you know, the cheating of uh, you know having to pay the fines for misappropriating charity funds or bilking his investors or his, his vendors rather uh, because he could outlaw your them or uh, you know putting up a bogus university and defrauding college students or just being cruel being a bully online we saw just this week in light of the impeachment his response was to make fun of Nancy Pelosi's teeth right this is this is kind of what he's like and I'm like if you were to see that kind of pettiness and cruelty in your spouse, would you support it in your son? What if your son said this about a woman? You know, grab him by the whatever. Uh, what if your what if your neighbor uh, could not be trusted to tell the truth? Would you trust that person with the keys to your house, or you know, would you trust a a husband who was a pathological liar uh, or constant nonstop? sort of um, betrayer of the truth, would you trust that person with your social security number, with your bank account, with your life? And, you know, when you bring it closer to home and you you begin to have these, this weird conversation about values, I mean, you know, what are your values? What do you want to see defeated in humanity? And what do you want to see extolled and promoted? And then it becomes a discussion of, well, if you don't want these negative characteristics in your son, or your boyfriend, or your husband, or your brother, or your neighbor, why in the world would you admire them in the leader of the free world? And we've had some interesting discussions, very kind discussions, certainly passionate ones, but I'm trying to lead more with kindness these days. I mean, did you, I don't know if you saw the post I, was, I had about kindness. 
And every time I say kindness, people automatically think that I'm saying surrender or acquiesce or just be soft or never get angry. I don't know if you, do you ever see those types of things when, you know, you say we should have a kinder world and those who are, you know, really concerned about justice issues somehow think that means that we are defeatist and surrendering our values in the, the face of bad ideas. I don't know. I agree. And I am a huge proponent of tolerance, compassion, understanding, and kindness. Um, so much so I've literally got it tattooed on my arm, right? It's chaos. Be kind. Is, is that is, what that means? I, I can't see it on my yeah, small screen. Yeah, it's but. tattooed on my arm here. It's the only tat I've uh, – well, that and the – and, the, and the, the Star Wars resistance symbol on my shoulder. Uh, I wondered if maybe there was some leftover Scientology stuff, you know, that was, uh, <laughs> no, no. That was part of your tattoo makeup. <laughs> no, I didn't do tattoos till after I got out. But, no. uh, but I always point to it because it's my reminder. It's the yeah. thing that keeps me grounded. And I've needed it many, many times, actually, because I, I, I have to admit, I've, I've certainly got, you know, a temper every now and again, and it flares up. And Oh, God, we all do. Well, yeah. We all, we all, yeah. I mean, and, we, we all have those moments where we're like, oh, I can't. And we just throw the, the, one, the jab out. Yeah, I, I understand. Oh, yeah. Totally been there on Twitter and everywhere. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And in fact... Something that really changed my thinking, and it was just, I think, last week. Like it had a really big impact on me, and it was an article by a therapist about dealing with the Trump fatigue and the Trump, the 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 the, the magnitude of ugh that has you know sort that some of us feel like we are walking around in, even this fog or this this black mass that can sort of hang over your head. You watch. You know, I, I, it's been such a civics lesson the last three years, watching various things happen and looking everything up to find out, can they do that? Is that okay? Yeah. Is that even acceptable? What's a crime? What's not a crime? You know, these kind of questions, you really start looking into this stuff. But what this therapist was putting out, and I, and I, I thought it was brilliant advice, was he was preaching basically radical acceptance. And like kindness, acceptance is often taken for agreement if tacit agreement, right? Silence is consent, this sort of yeah. thing. And that's yeah. not the point at all. That's not the point at all. It is not a matter of agreeing with, you know, acceptance is not agreement any more than tolerance is agreement. Tolerance, you ha if you're not going to have tolerance, though, you can't even have a conversation. And I realized that both sides are in this boat. We're all in this boat of freak out and fear and concern and and poverty for many 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 people right economic problems um and 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 that's both sides and they're latching on to a solution something that they see as a solution and some of them have latched on with cult-like tenacity just like the left though I can't say there's no cult mentality on the left. Of course there is. Yeah. That doesn't mean everybody on the left is a cultist any more than it means everybody on the right is a cultist. You Nor know, does it, it mean that you're a centrist for right. declaring that there are extreme fringes of the left, right? That's right. But that's right. that seems to be – what happens is people immediately knee-jerk to whatever argument they've got ready in their back pocket. <laughs> you know, oh, Chris just said that there are some problems on 
the extremes of the left. Well, only a centrist would say who would criticize the left or it's all relative. Well, the right is so much worse than the left. It's insane to even bother speaking about the left. Right. And I'm like, why in the world would I leave it to the other side to criticize the issues in my own camp? I think this is something that we should shore up from within. And it's ridiculous to think that we aren't human and we aren't flawed and that there aren't some dark shades to, uh, you know, there are some liberal groups that don't represent my values at all. They just, um, I remember Matt Delahunty back when we did the um, Unholy Trinity tour had a speech called hyperbole will destroy the world. And <laughs> he was play on words. Right. But his point was solid. I think a lot of people are so desperate to emphasize the need for justice that they overemphasize or they they you know paint the picture so incredibly boldly that it kind of betrays the facts. You know, you're not just wrong, but you are bad. You're not just bad, but you're horrible. You're not just horrible, but you're garbage. You're not just garbage, but you're a you know a Nazi. I mean, people, you can't just be a victim of bad ideas or be ideologically, factually, philosophically wrong. That's not enough. You have to be awful. You have to be an evil person. You have to be filth and, and, uh, and trash. And um, that's we see that in some shades of the extreme left. And I reject that as a liberal, as a proud liberal. I, that doesn't represent me or my values. And it's not going to change the world. Their mentality is, well, you'll never reason with them. So they have to be crushed under boot. And I'm reminded of a story I told in a speech that I just released uh, recently about filmmaker, documentarian Dia Khan, who's a Muslim, who, you know, we've seen the white supremacists, these skinheads, these neo-Nazis who are out in the streets with their picket signs, marching with their torches, doing the awful things. And they are ready for the opposition to throw stones and, and scream and fist fights in the street. They're ready for all that. You know, they are already, that'll just reinforce their sort of martyr syndrome and, and play into their narrative. What Dia Khan did was she arranged a meeting and she took a video camera and she sat down in the living room of some of these skinheads and point blank just spoke with them like a human being. And the walls began to come down. They no longer saw her from a distance, but they saw her up close and personal asking candid questions about her own humanity. And before this documentation or this documentary exercise was released to Netflix, it actually changed the lives of some of the, the neo-Nazis who said, I can no longer hate this woman. I, I can't do this anymore. And they left the hate group. And, uh, you know, I, that interests me, the idea of trying to humanize the opposition, even those with the most toxic ideas, not saying you're garbage and there's no way that you can be salvaged, but to find out how do we open the lines of communication to defeat bad ideas for better ones. Forgive the long answer there. I was just, it's just something that popped into my mind, probably something you've been dealing with as well, right? Very much so. And in fact, um, I have even been a proponent of a man named Daryl Davis who is a black man who has sat down one-on-one -on -one with KKK members, did the exact same thing. In fact, has been doing it for years and has been advocating for more direct communication between opponents because 
you know, just sitting down. And again, this is tolerance. This is compassion. This is recognizing that you are dealing with another human being. As bad as their ideas might be, as horrible as some of the stuff that, that spews from their mouth might be, you are still talking to a human being. It's not a monster. It's not some evil android from this fifth dimension. It's a human. And yeah. the guy has, or the girl, or the woman, whatever, has bad ideas. They have been the. They are at the end of a whole bunch of propaganda, whole bunch of undue influence, whole bunch of you know biases installed probably before the person can even remember where they came from, because that's when most of our biases are installed is before living memory of about you know three years old. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's so it's not like everybody has to take on this mission or anything like that. I just you know I think it's good to just let people know that it's possible. Well, it's it got to be yeah. maddening too, because I heard what you just said. Yeah. But whenever we approach other people, not considering context and intent, I could twist your words to say, "Chris says we need to tolerate the Nazis." Right. 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 Chris right. is tolerant of white supremacy in America. Right. Something we should be intolerant of. That's another challenge. I mean, when we exist in a culture that is trying to communicate these ideas in 280 characters, it's and nuance goes out the window and we're automatically assuming bad faith in the other person. It becomes an exercise sometimes in futility. It's been a real challenge for me online, especially on Twitter, to try to communicate ideas in a way that won't be knee-jerked into a misinterpretation or misrepresentation by some someone eager to misunderstand. Some people are just going to get it wrong. Some people love getting it wrong. Some people are stirring the pot because they can. Maybe they're just trolls. Maybe they're adjutants. Maybe outrage. I call them recreational outragers. I mean, this is their sport. Right, yep, tarring yep. and feathering other human beings <laughs> because it makes them feel good, it makes them feel superior, it makes them feel powerful. But at the end of the day, if we're in the, if we have this humanistic idea of trying to change the world for the better, right? We want bad ideas to go away, religious and otherwise. Bad ideas go away. We replace those. It's like that Ingersoll quote: "The more false we destroy, the more room we make for the true." So I think, you know, we need to be destroying the false, yes, but we're also making room for the true. And I think that comes through an exchange of ideas, being able to challenge each other. It was uh, Megan Roper Phelps, who was a daughter of Westboro Baptist Church, groomed to represent her generation for Westboro. And she was contacted by somebody or interacted with somebody on Twitter, of all places, who didn't call her garbage didn't call her anything toxic, didn't insult her, but instead respectfully engaged and challenged and asked questions. And it began this chain reaction that led to her rejecting Westboro outright and becoming a human rights activist that is now speaking all around the world. That would have been possible, I don't think, if someone would have started the conversation with She's garbage. She's worthless. She'll never be reached. This idea that you can never be reasoned out of something that you weren't reasoned into to begin with, that's a falsehood, right? I'm an ex-Christian. Chris is an ex-Scientologist. We were reasoned out of an unreasonable position. 
and it's just stupid to, to give up on other people because we think, well, you know, reason is something that is always going to be far beyond them. You'd be surprised at how many people have been reasoned out of an unreasonable idea. That's a good point. And I have actually said that myself in moments of failure. So I appreciate being reminded of that because it's, it is possible. It requires patience. It requires kindness. There's no way that you're ever going to change hearts and minds through hate, antagonism, and name-calling. That's for sure. I'm constantly reminded of the, the, the prime, and all through our conversation here, you know, with the kind of things that get thrown back at us. Um, and that we see all all day, every day on Twitter, especially, is um, you know the primary attribution error uh, as a logical fallacy. Right? People are always assuming something about the character of the person that they are talking to. I sure as hell have. I've sort of reasoned it through and thought, well, this must be where this person lies on a moral spectrum. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, I'm probably dead wrong, which is why the argument keeps going and it becomes this you know, trade-off of insults rather than, you know, it's, let's skip the assumptions. And I've been really, really trying to practice that on, on social media is, is let's not assume anything about the thing that I, about this person I'm talking to, except what they have told me in their own words, and try to move a conversation forward that way through questioning, through, you know, patient, uh, interaction, not hostile interaction. There are definitely, um, you know, I, I, I'm a busy person at the same time. My patience sometimes wears thin. When somebody's needling me on social media, I'm going to, yeah, yeah. you know, needle back a little bit. That's going to be problematic for me. But the, but I think, uh, I think these reminders are very, very important. And this is all about the humanism thing you know this is actually yeah. where we're I was right on the theme of what we're talking about is uh, you know I it's it's not like I never make fun of a bad agent out there right you know I sometimes there is utility in drawing a big big fat red circle around some bad agent who is promoting a horrible idea like the hate preacher down in um, Arizona I forget his name Stephen Anderson I think. Yes. yes you know uh, talk about somebody who's times- full of bad ideas Huge, hugely Huge. full of bad ideas. Yeah. And who at this moment is sending, not receiving. Uh, I don't know what a, conver- a sit-down conversation would produce. But, I mean, there is some utility in drawing a circle around what this person is doing and making it, um, making a point to say that we totally reject this. This is ridiculous. It's offensive. It's, 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 it's anti-humanistic, right? But um, there's this weird idea out there that um, we – if we are, if we're nice, if we are kind, that somehow we are weak. And I'm reminded of Christopher Hitchens, love him or hate him. Um, he's one of these guys, he was one of these guys who he was never anything but strong when he would do his debates, often in churches, sometimes in mega churches, he would go in with a tremendously strong anti-theist position but he was gracious to his antagonist, to his debate opponent. He was gracious to his religious host. He was gracious to the religious audience. He didn't walk in and tell everybody how stupid they were. He talked about the ideas in a strong way. At the same time, he was genuinely kind to people. And so I think you can have both. You can be a humanist and you can also be an anti-theist. You can be a humanist and and be strongly, passionately against the damage done 
by religions like Christianity, Catholicism, Mormonism, Scientology. You can be against white supremacy and bigotry on every level without surrendering your own humanity. And there's a fatigue that happens in my life after all these years. I found that I, I had to sort of step away and refocus because there was so much toxic noise that it started to affect me. Like I, I, I felt depressed. I felt despondent, kind of hopeless. All the news, the algorithms are kicking in now. So now it's all bad news about how bad Trump is and how bad religion is and how bad everything else is. And before I knew it, this avalanche of my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed became this nightmare fuel in my own life, you know? Yes. <laughs> I, and I, I thought <laughs> it, it affected, it, it literally depressed me. And I'm one of these guys who I don't think it's blind optimism when I say that I think most people out there are inherently good, right? Even the many of them who are misled. Uh, you know, when you see the Boston uh, Marathon bomber, you know, the two people who set off bombs and destroy or, or tremendously damage the lives of so many people. I don't give that event to those two people who were killers and, and maimers of human beings. I am cognizant of the hundreds, even thousands of helpers who came in and put themselves in harm's way to rescue and to give aid and to build back up and to heal. I, I did a whole speech on that years ago called the good old days. And I hold to that. I really do. I, I have to walk away from social media sometimes to be reminded that people are largely inherently good and there's a lot of good to be embraced. I don't know. I'm just sort of babbling along that no, line. No, you're right on track here. And in fact, I'm going to reinforce what you just said because it reminded me immediately of Fred Rogers and this wonderful quote of his where he said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You yeah. will always find people who are helping. And I see that again and again, and it constantly um, what not constantly, sorry, it always reinforces for me my, my basic belief in the goodness of humanity, the basic goodness of humanity. Psychologists towards, have this, uh, oh, forgive me, Chris, forgive me. Oh, so no, I was just going to yeah. say towards each other. Yeah. You know, we, we, there's kinship in other words, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be this, this religious thing. It's, it's, it's that we recognize that we are a species who should get along and yeah. you know that that's a that that's a naturally organically good thing for us to be doing. We don't need an external threat or force or 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 policeman policing our thoughts and our actions and and promising us some reward in order for us to be good to each other. It's actually built into us to want to be that way and I think from my way of looking at the world, you're either born genetically deficient, like a sociopath, perhaps, or it's beaten out of you, yeah. you know, as a kid. And I think that's where we lose. And, um, and that's why I do think that kindness is so important. And, I, and, this, and this, these are all synonyms for humanism. This whole thing, everything we're talking about here is humanism. And I, I, I want to stress it because... I the only thing I regret in the last three years of my activism is when I have gone antagonistic towards people because of their beliefs. Because I thought 
this is it. I have to hit them as hard as I can because they're just not getting it any other way. And guess what? I proved exactly what I already knew, that you will never change hearts and minds and you will never get somebody on your side by insulting them. No, I've got a few I'd like back. That's for sure. I, I think about it in my own life. It, it, snark is so easy on the internet and I, I'm, I'm pretty good at it, right? A lot of people are pretty good at it. I'll bet you're pretty good at it, right? <laughs> and people are watching and it becomes about winning. Right. And if they're not listening, then you get frustrated and then you just throw out that razor sharp barbed that cruise missile, you know, you just want to take them out. And I'm, I think I may agree. I think when I look back at the times I've engaged online and it just always got worse and people were, were not listening and no, nothing got solved. Everybody walked away more divided, more frustrated. It was because partially because I myself was, you know, I was either not using a Socratic method or maybe I was being snarky. It's, a difficult tendency to resist. Sarah Hader is uh, one of the co-founders of ex-Muslims of North America. And she's a friend and an activist I really admire. And she had made a pledge with herself, I think back at the beginning of 2019, that she was going to establish a few ground rules for her use of Twitter moving forward. And one of those was no snark ever. And I'm like, I don't think I could, I don't know if I could do it. Like I know enough about myself to know that I would be setting myself for failure, but it's a laudable goal. Like if you could have an interaction without resorting to just the, the cruise missile kind of a response, would you have more success out there? There's something that psychologists call motive attribution asymmetry. And I found it interesting because what this refers to is this notion that one side is sort of ideologically pure and righteous and the other side whoever that might be the other the person you're in opposition to is not only wrong but there's somebody who is absolutely evil and can never be reasoned with and so you've got this asymmetry you've got this sort of um model of extremes where people just give up and decide Defeat of them, stomping them under our feet is the only option. Ridiculing them, setting them on fire, you know, verbally, uh, set, dropping a bomb on them, sort of, so to speak, ideologically is the only response because they'll never be able to be reasoned with. And I see it now when I, I see my fellow liberals talk about Trump supporters. All Trump supporters are Nazis. I'm sorry. That's, that's not, it's not rooted in the facts. Right. People support their candidate for a shit ton of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and in America, swastikas aren't part of that. <laughs> I've got single issue voters. They, they voted yeah. only on the abortion question. They don't know anything else or care anything else about the candidate. I've got other people who simply vote the Republican are maybe they're evangelicals and they bought the, the line about him and, and his aligning with evangelicals. There are. Uh, maybe they bought the canard about being the successful businessmen, which we have found out thanks to his ghostwriter is mostly just complete crap. But it doesn't mean that they are in league with white supremacy. And yet with motive attribution and symmetry, what happens is people are like, well, if you're if they're wrong, they're bad. If they're bad, they're garbage. If they're garbage, they're Nazis. And they've decided that if Trump is a racist and they suspect that he is, and so do I, 
anyone who votes for Trump must be a neo-Nazi by association. And this is hugely unhelpful because it paints the entire 50 whatever million people who voted for him with a single brush. And you cannot do that. You can't do it with religions. And the reason they came to religious belief, you can't come to it. You can't approach their philosophy for living in that way. Everybody's unique and different. So it's a case-by-case -case situational assessment. Who are they? How they get there? How, what's their method for thinking? What's, uh, what is their model? How did they get there? And the path is different for a great many people. And uh, so I just find it frustrating when we use the binary uh, attack model, you know, yes, no, good, bad, A, B, black, white, good, evil. Uh, I just don't think you can apply that in a great many situations. Agreed completely. And it's hard because, you know, we are, have strong beliefs. It's not like we're, you know, when you sit in a more, I'll just say this, I'm not going to call myself, I have in the past and I realized it was a mistake. I'm not going to sit here and call myself a centrist. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like I try to take a, I try very hard. I put a lot of mental effort into trying to see things from another person's point of view or from the opposition side from how they're seeing it, not from how I think they should be seeing it or would be seeing it, but how are they really seeing it? And, they, and you do build, you have to build a, a contextual you know, like background yeah. that is rooted in reality in order to do that. You can't just take a stereotype and well, you could, but it's not very effective or useful. Now, and empathy has so much use, right? If you can see the world through their eyes, then you can connect the dots as to how they got to whatever position or opinion or action that they did. Exactly. And not empathizing means you're a foreigner. You'll never get, you'll never get to the root of what drove them in the first place. So yeah, you make a lot of sense. Well, exactly, because you'll never get them to talk to you if you can't approach them from some kind of point of view like that. And uh, and so the, the, the end result is almost guaranteed. You know, if you go in there with guns blazing, well, guess what? You're going to have a war. And it's just going to carry on like that. And it, and it does. And it's ugly. And it's nasty. And it's horrible. And it's just, ew, I don't know, you know. We don't, we don't need that. We don't want that. Especially when you realize that the problems they are trying to solve are the same problems you're trying to solve. It's economic. It's interesting, too. It's, it's, you know. I know a lot of religious people who are humanists. I mean, I know a lot of people who do church work. Mm -hmm. And they are doing humanist work. They might have some religious window dressing on it, right? Yep. But you know, there's another lie out there that all churches are, all they want to do is bilk the people and feed the mega pastor's salary at the offering plate. Those places exist, but the vast majority of people who pastor a church probably have a second job and they work their butts off and they're on call 24-7 and they're doing what they do because they genuinely believe in it. And they also, wait for it, love people. They love people and they want to help people. And so do the members of their congregation. And so when they're out building shelters and delivering medicine and feeding hungry people and, and doing a lot of the stuff that they do, I'm always smiling on the inside because, I mean, really it's human hands providing human solutions in the face of human needs, humanism. And uh, then, you know, once we can support the effort we can talk a little bit more about how, well, maybe you don't need all the superstitious backstory. I mean, you know, maybe you, maybe this is a human experience, a human endeavor and, and not really a divine one. And um, to be able to support a, that's why I enjoy the work of a lot of interfaith organizations who partner up with atheist or humanist groups 
and they'll go out and do some community service together. This is unthinkable in the eyes of some anti-theists. And I'm like, oh, why not? How about two groups on the same side for the single purpose of helping other people? You're doing humanism. I think it's a great idea. Plus, and it was uh, Ryan Cragen, the sociologist down at the University of Tampa, who had done some research. I forget the title of his book off the top of my head, but just Ryan Cragen, C-R-A-G-U-N. He had determined through his research as a sociologist that the number one determiner for when people change their minds or change their attitudes is not when you throw evidence at them. It's not when you insult them. It's when you change their social circle, right? If they don't know any non-believers, if they don't talk to or relate to any non, if they never cross a path with a non-believer, then you're always the other on the other side of the fence and they paint you up in whatever character they've been told to. But if they know you, if they like you, if your if your lives are intertwined, those moments are when the opportunities for an exchange of ideas most happen, and that's when most minds are changed. And I found that very interesting, that study. Well, that fits in perfectly with the whole concept that we know so well of, which is um, that we learned during the, during the whole um, LGBT civil rights movement, which is that, you know, surprise, when a family member shows up as homosexual or LGBT, suddenly the rigid, conservative, religious, oh my God, this is horrible, suddenly goes, oh, wait a second. Now it's my daughter. Now it's my son. Now it's my, you know, my niece or nephew or whatever. And that changes everything. And suddenly they're different. I mean, Dick Cheney's daughter was gay. And he chilled on that entire subject. Dick Cheney, you know, so... Like uh, that, that to me was a shocking revelation when I learned about that, watching that stupid movie about it, you know, and I just thought, what? Really? He was okay with that? And that, and it was like, you know, he's one of the most evil guys I've ever had anything to do with, you know, so I was like, whoa, you know, even love conquers all sometimes, you know, so I, you know, I, I'm, how many times have I met somebody in my, in Jesus town, USA, where I live here in Oklahoma and, um, and I'll, it'll end up coming out or I'll say, well, you know, I'm an atheist because one of the first questions you are asked is where do you go to church? Like, what's your name? What do you do for a living? Where do you go to church? And I'll be like, well, I don't go to church. I'm an atheist. And, um, they'll be like, but you're so nice. We actually, we really like you. You know, you're, you're fun and you love your family and you seem like a happy guy. And so oh, it totally screws up their categories because they've been told that all oh, this is impossible. Right. My life is impossible. And yet I am a standing, living, breathing reputation to the idea of the angry, malcontent, non-believer out there. And it just blows their mind. Tilt, ding, 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 ding. And they have to totally re-analyze the entire situation. And that changing of their social circle. And I've lost a few friends, a few people have disappeared, but I'll tell you, I've had a lot more people who have decided, well, you know what, they're, they're, he's good and our life's better with him in it. And, and we've had really good conversations and we've actually found a lot of common ground. And uh, those moments would not have been possible if I had remained on the other side of the fence throwing verbal grenades you know, over the wall. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think if, if we're those people who... We really don't think that there's going to be cosmic justice. There's not going to be manna from heaven. There's not going to be some, you know, there's some, at the time we're recording this, there's a church, I want to say it's in California. 
where the congregation is praying over a dead two-year-old girl. Yes, I heard about that today. Yeah, her name is Olivia, and she died. She just stopped breathing, and so it's been a number of days. And they are holding to, by faith, the idea of an actual physical resurrection of the body. It's tragic on every level because you understand that it comes from a desire, tremendous pain and desire to be reunited with a child. And it's tragic because you know that on some level they may punish themselves for a lack of faith when it doesn't work out. Superstition has infected an already horrible tragedy. And, you know, if we could put away this superstitious nonsense and be there for each other to solve each other's problems, to give comfort, to, to help build back up, to, to mend the wound, to try to fill the holes in their hearts in the years to come. You know, all that works a whole lot better without the backstory, I think. And um, so I don't know, as I move into 2020, my focus, I'll still be the host of The Thinking Atheist, but I, I really want to make sure that I, in my own life and in my work, I'm talking about being proactive, that rejection of the supernatural, of the religious, informing the reality that, well, if God ain't doing it, then it's up to us. So what does that mean? And what do we do next? And I'm going to try to ask myself those questions as often as I can. Yeah, this year, this next year for me, I really want to do more reach out across the aisle. I don't want to, I don't want to go you know, ridiculously extreme with that. But we're about yeah. to face a tumultuous year. We have an impeachment happening. We have political turmoil in D.C. And we've got a lot of very, very frightened people all around the, world, the country. And I don't mean the entire nation's like, you know, going into the toilet. It doesn't have to be that way. And we don't have to look at it that way. Social media is a construct of construct. And if you get too much into the hype of it, you start getting crazy. You talked about getting depressed this year. Me too. I, you know, early this year, we took a whole month off of social media, and it was very revelatory. Coming back on gradually, slowly, it started building up again, and I started taking a break, took it off my phone again, and my life has been a lot more sane in the last, I think, month or two that I've been doing that, and that's been really, really helpful. So yeah. I'm going to keep that going in this new year, but I want to... I want to come up with more ways that I can not repeat the mistakes of the last three years and reinforce the things that I did do that were helpful and useful. And I think it's conversations like this that I want to, I want to promote, I want to, I want to engage in, I want to help other people engage in. And I, I think, think that's the best we that. can do. You know? I think people are ready. I mean, I, yeah. there's a, there, people out there are tired. Yeah. They're tired of other people being awful to each other. Yeah. And uh, maybe they're listening to a conversation like this and going, yeah, you know, I'm tired and I'm, I'm, I'm ready for some goodness. I'm ready to, to be a glass is half full or at least a quarter full, at least a <laughs> kind a of person. Bit of water <laughs> right. I, I, I don't want to start the day seeing the worst of the worst of the worst, which is what much of the news cycle does to us, right? If it bleeds, it leads. If it's awful, if it's controversial, it's, and it's in our face up to the microsecond from all around the world. I just don't think we as human beings are wired for this. And uh, we have to then decide without deluding ourselves or without being ignorant of the awfulness in the world, there's a way to protect yourself. I think to moderate and to try to balance your life. You know, life is balanced. I don't know if it, who said Raza Ghoul said that. I don't know who said that. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, a more balanced life I would like to have for me. 
I myself want to wake up in the morning and see if I see the awful, great. If I not great, but if I see the awful, that's necessary. And I also want to know about the very real tangible good and then to find a way to plug into that and encourage that and encourage uh, positivity. And, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, it, there is a lot of good. Life is too short. I mean, we're, if we're only here on this planet, on this rock for a few brief decades and then bam, it's over. You know, and it's as if before you were born, you are no longer existing for the rest of eternity, whatever. Um, well, life's too beautiful and short to spend it all screaming at the top of your voice. We got to get out and enjoy the good stuff. We've got to find those moments of real appreciation and living life and not just screaming and fighting. And uh, so that's kind of a pledge. It's, a, it's something I'm going to try to do more of in my own life in 2020. I can't believe it's already 2020. It's bizarre. <laughs> bizarre it's it's insane i i know i thought i i remember i distinctly clearly remember anticipating the year 2000 coming yeah and and what an event that was going to be and here we are coming up on 2020 i'm like oh my god i just turned 50 what the hell is going on with my life i i heard somebody say and i've never forgotten it i don't know if it's true but he said life is like a roll of toilet paper he said it, it just spins faster and faster as you get closer to the end and I'm like, you know, that's that may be true, because when I was 18, a year was an eternity. Yep. Oh, you got to wait a year. Oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to wait a year. <laughs> and I was talking to Natalie and it was like like we adopted our dog, Linus, who's sitting here in my lap. It's hard oh. to see it's my black shirt. But we adopted him in, in February of this year. And it's already almost a year. We're, we're like, it's been almost a year since where, where's the year gone? Where, what, where did the time go? Where did the opportunities go? It's going faster and faster and faster as I age. It's this weird phenomenon. So if you are young, carpe diem, right? Seize bade because they spin faster as you get older, for sure. Big time, big yeah. time. Seth, man, thanks for doing this with me. I think, uh, I, I hope we've given some folks out there a little bit of something to think about. Maybe think about uh, modifying your New Year's resolutions or yeah. Christmas resolutions or whatever. Let's see what we can do to make the world a better place this next year by being kinder, compassionate, more more tolerant. Not accept, you know, not accepting the bullshit, not agreeing with it. It's not the point, you know, just, just, you know, just some nuance here. Let's have a little nuance and, and let's see if we can't, let's see if we can't do something. I'm going to try my hardest to do that. Yeah. Don't just have a happy new year. I think try to make a happy new year wherever yeah. possible to try to be an instigator of positive change wherever you are. Not always possible, but it, it is possible and it does happen and it sure feels good when it does. And so all my best to you, Chris, and to your audience and everybody for the new year. Good things to come, I hope. Big time, man. Me too. Thank you very much. And and thanks for thanks for taking the time to do this with me. You betcha. All right, man. Any questions, comments, feedback out there, leave it in the comments section below or at sensiblyspeaking.com. I look forward to seeing it, good, bad, or sideways. Uh, so uh, happy Christmas. And uh, we will be doing some more before New Year's. So I will see you guys before then. Bye-bye. <laughs>